again, fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 175 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder. And today we are at the Royal Festival Hall in London's South Bank, where somebody has just appeared with some very important um, equipment, which they're now running out the list. Um, Since we got here and settled down, we've had a number of other interruptions and it is conceivable that we may need to reposition somewhere. But um, meanwhile, we're taking the pulse of the travel industry following my visits to the annual ABTA Travel Convention. That's the, well, former Association of British Travel Agents and the World Travel Market, WTM, where the world is literally condensed into a huge hangar of a building in East London. Yes, I'm sorry I missed it this year. Well, actually not that sorry. I mean, it's like a very long and arduous journey with nothing very interesting at the end of it. Well, that's how I found it. But uh, anyway, let's start with comments from listeners. Yes, and I asked, we asked about unusual ways with holiday money. This was after I was in Turkey. The bank wouldn't charge... (laughs) Crikey, what is going on? The bank wouldn't (laughs) change anything smaller than 100 quid. And uh, my friend, my new friend, uh, who was also queuing up, said that he would help me out for a um, consideration, which he did when I just wanted to change 20 quid. Anyway, Anne Bell says, arriving on Sunday in Tirana, Albania, the man at the currency exchange desk said, go elsewhere, our rate is rotten, which it generally is at an airport, (laughs) but they don't normally tell you that. We were approached by a man with a variety of currencies inside his jacket. Our tour guide said, he's okay. He gave us a box of biscuits as a thanks for our custom. Well, I noticed that Anne doesn't actually tell us uh, what kind of rate she actually got from the man with the biscuits. Well, it's the first time I've heard of biscuits as a kind of reverse commission. But moving on, uh, as the lift chimes, Audrey Mark says anyone from Northern Ireland travelling to England has never been able to take pound sterling notes printed in Northern Ireland banks as they're not accepted in many establishments Um, even though it literally says for instance on a 20 pound sterling note Ulster bank note a bank owned by Nat West well Scottish people have long complained that sometimes their bank notes aren't accepted but uh, I think there is some rule which says that they are not strictly legal tender but they will be at uh, other points but certainly if you've got Northern Ireland or Scottish notes you really don't want to start trying to change them abroad because they are not always um, especially familiar although who knows maybe Anne in Albania would have found um, uh, that that, uh, they were very acceptable for on on the uh, biscuit front. She might have got a cake in fact. Yeah and then Michael Ryan and here's something I wanted to talk to you about Mick uh, took us over to Argentina where the blue peso gets you double the normal foreign exchange rate every street corner you just have to have clean US dollar notes um, you must you've spent much longer than I have in Latin America have you got any unusual ways with uh, Latin American currency well, when I travelled there um, extensively in the 80s and 90s, um, it was absolutely absurd to um, go to a bank to do any kind of exchange at all. And um, I uh, travelled with a, um, sadly no longer with us, a, a, a very experienced journalist called Hugh O'Shaughnessy. And he was a dab hand at um, taking... <laughs> 
a fistful of dollars and coming back with about eight pocketfuls of local currency. And uh, he was absolutely marvellous. Um, he didn't mind accompanying, um, shall we say, um, dodgy-looking um, strangers down a dark alley. <laughs> and, uh, and never did he have any uh, problems with the exchange. And uh, we always did very well out of it, and therefore so did the BBC, because um, we were working for them at the time. My job was to um, um, wait in the, in the hire car with the engine running... <laughs> like a particularly bad getaway driver, just in case he had to uh, come hurrying out of the uh, <laughs> out of the alleyway, pursued by a, a whole gang of um, dodgy youths. Um, uh, I, I can hear the keyboard springing into action already. Dear BBC, why oh why? Uh, with, with, uh, Mick Webb and uh, Hugh O'Shaughnessy <laughs> allowed to do this at the licence payers' um, Disgusted Tunbridge yes. Wells. As, um, uh, it, it, well, look, here's a, here's a... And I, of course, recall going to Nicaragua at the height of their hyperinflation where you could take a dollar into a bank and come out with one million Nicaraguan... I'm going to say Cordobas. Yes, cor- Cordobas, yeah, yeah. yeah OK, yeah. they're, they're a yeah. funny old currency. And, of course, you've got the... Um, in Costa Rica, the crawling peg... Um, as it's known, which is that the um, Colon is gradually, gradually depreciating against the US dollar, but it does it on a kind of fairly um, stable basis. Ah. Yes. Anyway, we're obviously very, very keen to hear your um, unusual ways with holiday money. You can tweet us at you should have BT or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. Just one more on this subject. Uh, Rich Alderton says, I made one of my best currency trades in a small hotel in Paris. The receptionist, learning that I was English, begged me to take a two pound coin that had landed in her till. I swapped it for two euros and was instantly 40% richer. I imagine that was some time ago before, dare I say it, Brexit. (laughs) And then just quickly on the um, airport lounge front, the Tradewinds CEO, no less, told us my lounge, that's not his personal lounge, um, it's uh, the name of the lounge, at Gatwick South Terminal has an outside smoking area after security. Well, that's good if you, if you need that. And Claudia notes, American Airlines Admiral's Lounge in Boston Airport is awful. Had to pay extra for food. If I was spending £4,000 for a flight and the lounge didn't include food, I'd be furious. Luckily, it wasn't my money. <laughs> Surely the only way to travel. But uh, we've got a couple of other strands open for listener contributions. That's as well as airport lounges and um, also um, odd currency transactions that you might have uh, experienced. Um, These are just in case things you put in your case, just in case you need to use them and probably never do. And also unsolicited advice uh, to travellers. And I had several of those when walking the Camino Inglés in um, uh, northern Galicia because it was very obvious um, where you were going. You were following the Camino Inglés to Santiago de Compostela. So even in the most um, remote of uh, country districts, people would um, just turn round and point that way and this way. 
And once I was bewilderingly lost somewhere and I was trying to look at a map on my phone and um, couldn't get it the right way up and uh, I really couldn't tell north from south, let alone where the uh, Camino um, actually led. And a car came down the road. Um, It didn't slow down at all, but the driver flashed his lights to attract my attention. And uh, as he went past, he pointed... (laughs) sort of over to the right into the kind of middle of some kind of forest and I thought oh how bizarre and sure enough that's exactly where the path led but uh, let's get on to the main event taking the pulse of the travel industry starting with the ABTA convention this is the association of British travel agents but I gather the annual Beano doesn't actually happen in Britain does it well it used to it used to be held at places like um, Brighton and actually there's plenty of good reason why you would want to host it for instance at the Birmingham NEC where it's in the middle of the country and that would reduce the amount of air road rail miles to get there maybe we'll get onto that in a moment but it also happens well this year at the start of November when there's an awful lot of places which are slightly more appealing even than the NEC in Birmingham so it was uh, everybody (laughs) shipped out to Bodrum in uh, south western Turkey lovely location I mean Bodrum itself is but this was a five-star all-inclusive enclave that um, extraordinarily was um, uh, given over to the, I was going to say, the great and the good of the travel industry, I suppose it was, and then the odd uh, journalist hangers-on as well. What was discussed um, in between the, um, the sun lounging and cocktail <laughs> sipping and uh, kite surfing, etc.? Well, here's the boss of ABTA, Mark Tanza, setting the agenda. I think... It- it's in a very positive place, Simon. I think um, you know the recovery this year has been very strong across all of our members, large and small. And I think uh, you know the rebound back from the pandemic uh, has not only been strong, but it looks as we look at forward bookings into next year that it's going to be sustained. So that's always a good sort of place to go into a convention. Um, this isn't just a celebration of, of, of what's happened. You know, the, the ABTA convention is very much looking at what's coming as well. And, um, you know, being honest about some of the challenges, whether it's, we've been talking a lot about AI today, generative AI, uh, search for talent, and obviously tomorrow we'll be looking at climate change. So we're aware that, you know, there are some big, big uh, challenges for the industry and for individual members. But I think we're in a very confident place to uh, embrace those as we go forward. Well, we have had a few brushes with artificial intelligence on the podcast sort of mainly in the um in the guise of um guides that that um will as long as you put in a few bits of information like saying um uh, i like kite surfing and um quiet beaches and um uh, rave music or something it'll then send you off to the right place to get all that sort of stuff there, there was huge amounts of talk, Mick, about how it was going to transform everything and possibly get rid of your job and mine. But there was, I got little sense of direction about how that was actually happening and what it would mean for people. And of course, at the moment, uh, many of the sources of AI, um, information on AI, just go around scraping stuff off the internet so it's actually cleaner and easier than than um, going out and finding a thousand websites but it's effectively it's got the same uh, basic uh, source and furthermore um, 
travel is very much about people. It's a person-to-person industry, and that, I guess, is why um, Mark Tanzer there was talking about uh, the search for for talent, and um, uh, that that is going to be a problem because travel is also relatively low-paid. Yeah. Um, we shall see. And we've got drumming in the background That's now. right. I think this might be um, the preparations and possibly the sound check for um, a jazz um, ah. concert that is going to happen later. But uh, anyway. Oh, well, uh, yes. But lots, lots and lots of talk about sustainability, which I found slightly, slightly difficult to square with the fact that... Um, uh, 500 people had all flown um, for five hours to get yeah. to a place where they were staying in five-star, unashamed luxury. Was this ever mentioned, the um, uh, irony, <laughs> one might even say hypocrisy of all of this? Well, no, and, and to be fair, I, I did actually, I flew out to, uh, and we may need to move in a minute. I uh, think this is... I, I've flown out to Rhodes, and that was a five-hour flight. I then got the boat to uh, Turkey, I then got a couple of buses, and Unlike the rest of them, I wasn't going to pay £200 a night because they got a special delegate rate, so it wasn't £500 a night, to stay in an all-inclusive. I stayed across the bay, which I could have swum to in about 15 minutes, but instead I had to walk and it took about an hour um, in a very, very nice um, 30 quid a night place. But even so, I then flew back. Uh, and so, therefore, it was it was very tricky, and that's always a problem with sustainability. Everybody says, "Yeah, we're all in favour of recycling rainwater," while ignoring the crowd of elephants in the in the arrivals hall. <laughs> very good. I'm sorry to say that our um, recording position on the second floor, I think it was, of the Royal Festival Hall, London's South Bank, suddenly became, I've got to say unsustainable and certainly untenable <laughs> because of the um, uh, the, uh, the jazz drummer's um, um, preparations <laughs> for the concert. Um, so we have relocated to uh, a place some floors higher uh, outside the members' lounge, which, a bit like those lounges we've been talking about in um, airports, seems to insulate you um, more from the... Uh, the general racket and um, chaos of normal life so it, it certainly does and also we we did come past the national portrait at uh, the national poetry library which i didn't even know was a thing um, where they were being quite quiet but we thought it might disturb the poetry of uh of the readers if we were to um uh, get prosaic i wonder if our uh, if our um, so-called scripts would ever pass muster as a kind of performance poetry. Hmm, not sure. But anyway, let's get on to another travel industry loving, the WTM, the World Travel Market, which is um, a mixture of talks, awards and stands where many countries of the world display their tourist wares. Uh, it's quite entertaining because there are singers and dancers. And uh, do you remember we even played mini golf there once at the uh, uh, United Arab Emirates stand? And um, I think um, the 
prize was um, a visit to a golf course in the United Arab Emirates, and I was quite pleased I didn't win. But the most striking thing, actually, about the WTM is the weirdly distorted view of the world it gives you. So, I mean, if you were a visitor from Mars who pitched up there, you would think... Uh, that Saudi Arabia was the largest and mightiest country on the globe. At least that's how it was when I went a couple of years ago. And uh, was that still the case this year? Let me take you first, Mick, back about 10 years when, if you saw Saudi Arabia at all, they would just have a little desk in the corner and a gentleman there saying, kind of, we're here. We don't really do tourism, apart, of course, from the Hajj uh, pilgrimage. But, um, you know, if you want to and you're... Um, not a female under 40, then we can probably find you a way of uh, getting in and doing a little bit of touring around. But now you would think that Saudi Arabia is the only country in the world. So heavily did it dominate everything. From the moment you sort of stepped off the train um, at XL, the exhibition centre in East London, you were then confronted by poster after poster. Here's one I've got on my phone. Um, where indulgence is taken further, Saudi Arabia. Um, which is an interesting thing for those of us who perhaps like... I don't know, the old glass of beer and maybe even, um, how can I put it, uh, uh, not necessarily to be um, of, of a strictly heterosexual um, orientation, uh, given that they very much um, seem to persecute LBGTQ plus people. Um, but there they were, absolutely, uh, uh, probably of the total floor area, they must have had maybe a quarter of it because wow. there's not just Saudi Arabia, multi mighty country, there's all the different bits. So there's Neon, this um, exciting, genuinely new tourism area um, where they are doing some very interesting things, developing the Red Sea shore. Um, you've got Cruise Saudi, which is great, except if you're on a cruise ship, and sorry to go back to the beer thing, but as soon as you get into Saudi t territorial waters, all the drinking has to stop, please. And uh, then they've got various projects to create some um, uh, highland living, um, open up the heritage and so on. And here's a bit of uh, Saudi Arabian drumming, which I stumbled upon. <laughs> slightly conflicted about it because they are doing amazing things in developing from nothing a tourism industry yet this is a country that uh, in terms of human rights leaves uh, much more to be desired even than the averagely not very good uh, country that's exhibiting at world travel market well at the risk of lowering the tone i've got to ask you whether there are any good food treats um, i remember getting some splendid aubergine pasties oh. from somewhere Mediterranean and of course um, dates, um, there were dates um, aplenty <laughs> Well yes, I've I, I stayed most of my time in the media centre where thanks to the Greeks bearing gifts, there was tea and biscuits and then <laughs> on the final afternoon there was this odd influences event which obviously I wasn't invited to because um, I clearly don't have any, um, but uh, all these young, young girl, even younger than you and me Mick, people showed up um, to uh, eat chicken skewers and listen to pitches from PR people. 
But one of the joys of the world travel market is that there's lots of interesting people to talk to. But given the domination by Saudi Arabia and the US also had lots and lots of uh, coverage there, I thought I'd go for smaller nations, perhaps with um, well, who maybe even better human rights records. So I caught up with Eliza Reid. She's the Canadian-born First Lady of Iceland. And before that, Franca Rastelli from the tourist office of a European nation that for a lot of us, we only really become um, aware of uh, every time there's a major football tournament or at least the early stages thereof. San Marino is a unique and independent republic with a long life living history and the, the one city state still alive in Italy. The one city-state still alive in Italy. Now, just I've been there a couple of times myself, just on a day trip, I'm afraid, from Rimini on the Adriatic coast, which is only about uh, 20 kilometres away, and you go up a wonderful winding road up to San Marino. There's no great passport control that I noticed, um, and then you are suddenly there. And what makes it different from Italy, the nation that surrounds it? So San Marino is a totally independent republic inside Italy, but with its proper institution and tradition. For instance, we have two head of state, uh, we call Captain Reason, elected every six months. It's unique in the world. So that would be like us getting a new prime minister every six months? It's not a new, a new prime minister, it's just a representative head of state every six months and they are two elected within the parliament. Well, that sounds very good. We, we can have, we've got quite a few spare prime ministers if you need any, but I don't suppose you do. Um, but it's going to be a very exciting 2024. What, please tell us, Franca, is going to put San Marino on the map? So uh, uh, in 2024, we will have the Tour de France passing by San Marino. Uh, we will have the depart from Tour de France from Florence uh, until Rimini. And the hardest uh, climb will be in San Marino. So Eliza Reid, um, great pleasure to meet you. You're the first first lady that I've ever met. So this is so exciting. Really? Um, well... I'm excited to meet you too. Well, that's very, very nice of you. So, Iceland, um, of course, it's a far away country of which we know a bit. We know the Blue Lagoon. Um, we know there's very good transatlantic connections from there. But um, beyond that, we're a, a bit mystified about Iceland. So, so <laughs> persuade me. Why we should visit. First of all, that it's not as far away as you think. We're only a three-hour flight from London, even less if you're up in Scotland. There's many, many direct destinations from the country, including a new direct destination from Gatwick up to the north of Iceland in Akureyri. And why do you want to visit? It's uh, beautiful, unique nature, wonderful people. Practically speaking, world's most peaceful country, third happiest country in the world, most gender equal country, most open to the queer community, lots of statistics, and uh, easy to get to, safe, friendly. So everything I think a traveler is looking for. Well, the problem for British people, if you don't mind my saying so, is thanks to the great success of Brexit, um, <laughs> the pound is worth about half an Icelandic kroner, and therefore for people like me who occasionally will want to have a drink of beer, mm. they can be quite challenging financially. I am going to tell you, you're right, beer is not the cheapest thing in Iceland, but the good thing about prices that you know are 
Admittedly a little bit higher there. Are the, the high VAT that's in there is going into the excellent roads. It's going into the excellent healthcare if you're there. The people that you're working for are getting sick pay when they're there. They're getting paid reasonable salaries. And so you know that your money is going to a good cause. That's very nice to know. Um, so take me on a very quick tour. I guess everybody lands at Keflavik International Airport, apart from the new people who are arriving in North Iceland at Akureyri. Um, where, where are you going to send me first? Oh my goodness. Well, I have to be very neutral, you know, as the, as the first lady of the country. But I am going to tell you to drink the tap water, which is genuinely the best tap water in the world and also very sustainable, and to spend some time in one of our outdoor geothermal pools, whichever one you choose to do, because that the most authentic experience you can have. Okay, so I'm drinking water instead of beer. Um, <laughs> oh, we have good beer. Have some beer later, even if you have to save up for it. You okay. don't need to buy a whole round just for yourself. Okay, and is it unkind, Eliza, just to point out that your accent isn't typically Icelandic? No, that is absolutely fair because I grew up, uh, was born and raised in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, and spent five years here in lovely England before moving to Iceland. But I do have a strange accent when I speak in Icelandic. Um, and how is Icelandic? Uh, is it, it must be incredibly difficult to learn. It is pretty difficult. It's the best secret language to know, though, when you're traveling abroad, because nobody else understands it unless you're on Oxford Street in December. Then I wouldn't trust it. And would you recommend the role of being a first lady or indeed a first spouse? Um, yes. Well, indeed, it's not a role in a sense. It's the kind of the biggest volunteer job in the world, but it's an incredible privilege and honor to, to serve and I get to do lots of fun things and meet interesting people and I feel so incredibly grateful. Eliza Reid there, First Lady of Iceland and we were speaking before the latest seething seismic incident in southwest Iceland which is the only reason I can think that perhaps um, that recording wasn't as good as it might have been, um, although you might want to blame your own listening equipment. Well I was going to say that um, actually that is, I think, the um, uh, full set of uh, natural disasters which the the travel industry and the travelling public have, have, have experienced this year. We've well, had fire, wildfires, storms. Storm. Yes, uh, as um, we had pestilence before that, but that, that was a bit before. Um, yes, and and so so uh, volcan volcanic action. Um, yes, I think that does complete the bingo card. <laughs> anyway. Finally, I grabbed James Asquith. He's 34 and he's already the boss and founder of Global Airlines. Now, if you don't know anything about that, it's an interesting venture. It doesn't yet have any routes, so you can't buy a ticket for it. And crucially, it specialises, or in fact, the only plane it um, intends ever to fly is the Airbus A380. This is the double-deck super jumbo, biggest passenger airliner in the world, and one which hasn't actually done very well. And you and I, Mick, have been at, at Lourdes Airport in uh, in southwest France, where you've got a number of them parked up, because Air France, just after the COVID pandemic, thought, well, they're not going to be any use, and and you can um, uh, go and pick them up for not very much, which is, I understand, what he is doing. Anyway, I grabbed James just as he came off stage, telling people about his plan to rescue the Airbus A380 and bring joy to our lives. A better product, a happier place for people to work, and an airline that survives. Well, all of those sound absolutely great. Everybody is in favour of aviation, except possibly the existing carriers. Um, very much uh, focused on transatlantic. Uh, and some other things, but we'll be revealing all of that pretty shortly. I think, as I just touched on in there, it's a case of we're very aware of what 
we've already done and what we're doing. People like to speculate, but you know, we don't want to sit here and wait eight years for a new first class seat like you know other carriers have done or wait for years saying we're doing something and we're not going to do it. So it's more a case of uh, we have a pretty good team, experienced team as well. Um, there's going to be a bit more to it than just transatlantic. It's been an incredible reception even at Roots World recently from the team um, of airports around the world, away from the US as well, that want the A380 in there. And I think that that's, that's been the key thing that we knew. There's, there's obviously challenges with the aircraft. Everyone knows that. But there's also huge benefits for passengers. It's a passenger favourite. It's a crew favourite. It's a pilot favourite. Um, and obviously an airport favourite as well. People want the largest commercial aircraft in the world. So uh, there's going to be a bit more than transatlantic and there's a bit more to what we're doing than people will publicly know, but we'll get to that shortly. Well, I suppose that's a, um, a testament to the uh, creativity of uh, the travel business, although it does strike me a bit like bringing back um, steam trains to run on um, HS2, if indeed uh, there is ever such a thing. Well, I'm, James, we'll, we'll disagree with you on that. Um, fair to say that there's an awful lot of uh, people in the aviation industry who don't give much hope to uh, global airlines, but conversely, um, it's said to have some very powerful and I hope uh, deep-pocketed backers. So we will see what happens with global airlines and whether their bet, which is that the A380 is such a passenger favourite that uh, it is bound to succeed, will pay off. So please tell us more about your favourite passenger plane, um, your favourite small country, and maybe even how you think AI could improve the travel experience. You can, of course, tweet us at you should have BT. That's on X, I guess we need to say these days. And then leave a message for us if you would prefer to do that. Anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye.